Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. I'm Pastor Michael Branch. So as we begin, we pray, Lord, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. This is a message that I've been kind of looking forward to bringing because I think it is very, very relevant in all of our lives since we just went through another election process and, uh, and we're kind of looking around us and we don't really recognize the landscape. Like the last year has been unlike anything we've ever really been through in the past. Um, we're living in, in tumultuous times. And, um, you know, probably 10 years ago, I read a book that talked about mega change. And there are periods in human history where things change so quickly and so dramatically that like if you were to try to describe it to your grandpa or whatever, it would be almost impossible. You know, like my grandmother who rode across the prairie in a, in a covered wagon, you know, and it took half a day to get from Milburn, Oklahoma Durant, to Durant, Oklahoma. And now you can get there in your car driving 80 miles an hour in less than 20 minutes. You know, that's mega change, right? Then we, we enter the computer age. We have smartphones and, and, and the, the, uh, what's called the Internet of Things, uh, basically everything that they're making now, electronic and some just with smart chips in them, that are going to be connected to the Internet, that it's, it's going to be a, a construct of which you can't escape in society. You're going to be connected, whether you like to be connected or not, unless you just go completely off the grid, okay? And that's kind of the future for all of us, is that your microwaves, your toasters, your your shoes, some you know, some of the blouses you wear, they're going to have chips in them and they're going to connect. It's going to be all, and they call this the internet of things. And we'll talk more about that later. But the, but the idea is that there's so much connectivity that there's really, there's no one really oppressing or looking over you, but the fact that you're connected all the time, you're ne- there's going to be no such thing as, as personal freedom. You're just always going to be connected. We'll talk more about that. But as I said, these changes are hard to fathom, and they're going to be really dramatic. And I believe what we're seeing is the beginning stages of, of some natural change based on new technology, but a lot of it is being pushed by leadership in the world, and we'll talk about that today as well. But I think it's important for the body of Christ to be able to understand the position that God wants us to have in light of all these different changes that are happening around us. And there's an overwhelming amount of information that we're being barraged with on a daily basis when you uh, turn on your phone or you watch TV or, I mean, me personally, I have like completely unplugged from all of that. I just want the peace of mind. I don't want to think about it. I'm praying for our country. I'm praying for our leadership and all of that. Um, but there are many other things that I would rather be consumed with than, uh, than fretting and wringing my hands over everything that's going on right now, okay? That's my personal deal. Um, I've never seen so much stuff being put out there for people to consume as far as, you know, your, your, your social media and uh, the media and music and entertainment. It's just, you're just being barraged with it, right? And it's difficult to digest. And just knowing what's true and what's not true what's speculation and what is fact, it's, it's harder and harder to really work through all of this stuff. I can't tell you how many messages I got like on Facebook Messenger about all these things that are going on and, and troops are being staged here and China's invading from the South. And, and it's like, well, is this true? Like what in the world's going on? And, and it's really hard to understand and, and know what to believe, all right? And of course, for us, the sifting process can be overwhelming. And every one of us should be careful that what we're promoting is actually correct information as the body of Christ. Because, of course, we are the ones who proclaim that we carry the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So we need to be certain that if we're representing the truth, that everything that we say and do is representing the truth. Amen? So we should be careful um, not to endorse the wrong people or embrace the wrong things or promote the wrong things that may be false information, okay? So what we fight for, what we reject, what we embrace as the body of Christ is very, very important. And that's why we, as the body of Christ, need to be careful and and really make sure that what we're buying into and what we're promoting is something that is of God, okay? That So that we don't, honestly, not, not that we don't lose credibility, so that we don't bring shame and reproach to the gospel 
and the gospel doesn't lose credibility, where they point at us and say, they just say whatever they want to say. Like, there's no truth. You understand what I'm saying? We need to be certain that what we're speaking and what we're, the way we're acting is promoting the truth. And with that being said, I'm really, really glad that God has a plan, and I'm really glad that God is sovereign, and that there's no way that you and I are going to totally screw up or uh, His plan or push His sovereign plan off the tracks, okay? Um, and so we should just be certain that we're aligning with God's agenda and God's plan. That's really all I'm trying to say. And, and the best way to do that, honestly, is keep your nose in the Word of God. So what, to me, that's his agenda, and that's his plan. That's where we find it. What's, but in our modern day, what is God's course of action? What is God's plan? Because that's right where I want to be. Amen? Um, I want to talk about something that usually comes up in the middle of talking about end times prophecy, right? Um, one of the very first questions they ask is, well, where is America in the end times? Is it, do we see America in Scripture? Can we find the United States of America in the, the unfolding of all of these things in the end? And that's the question. Where's the good old USA in the end of days? And what part do we play, if any? So if you don't mind, let's turn to Revelation chapter 11, Revelation 11. And I want to begin reading there. And I'll follow with the explanation of, of how the passage kind of fits into the greater context of the times in which we live. Revelation 11, beginning in verse 15. Revelation 11, beginning in verse 15. <clears throat> then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord. Now, listen to that. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces, and they worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is and was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. All right, so let's start by putting this passage into somewhat of a correct chronological sequence, okay? As I've said many times, true believers will have different opinions about how all of this unfolds as far as what they believe about eschatology and the theology of end times, okay? And never should that be something that divide us. I think there are only a few exceptions in what people believe about the end that I would say, okay, you're skirting into the fringes of heresy there, right? Uh, but most of the time, uh, we, if we keep it scriptural, then uh, we can come to some sort of agreement on God's ultimate plan and, and where things are headed, okay? Me personally, I've come to my position based upon my personal study, and it's been years and years of study, um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other guys out there that study and have come to different conclusions. But for me, this makes the most sense. This makes the most scriptural sense. It makes the most logical sense when it comes to uh, what God did in the beginning and how things unfold in the end. But, but here's the point I'm trying to make. We can all disagree and still love each other. Uh, even if we have differences of belief, it's still possible. And it's really important. I, I do believe it's really important for the believer to un understand end-time theology. Um, like I said, to me, my position and what I've been teaching over the last several weeks makes the most sense biblically, and for me, that's, that's it, right? Um, is whether or not it explains Scripture in, in a way that seems appropriate and makes total sense, all right? So Revelation begins with John being instructed by God to write down three different things, the things which were, the things which are, and the things which are to come. And that's all in uh, chapter 1. Um, and, uh, of course, the things which were are the things that he had seen, the things which are are what he was writing down in that moment, the present day, uh, and as he wrote the letters to the seven churches. Now, there are, I believe, applications from the, the letters to those actual seven churches that actually represent every single type of church in the world throughout history as the church age kind of unfolded. And also, there are different believers in every church that kind of align with every one of those different churches as well. So I think that's pretty amazing that you can see that in Scripture as well. But Revelation chapter 2 and 3 
um, is where he has the vision of the seven churches, as I said. And then, uh, and then we begin in chapter 4, all the way to the end of the book, he's talking about the things which are to come. Okay, so these are things that are going to take place later. These are future events that are going to unfold. And this, of course, is John's vision of the future. Now, that's the difficulty that most people have is figuring out, okay, well, what does all of this mean, right? Well, as I have said before, we need to interpret in hindsight. Don't interpret something um, and say this is this is absolutely what this means and, and say it's absolute like, for instance, the, the, the locusts with the faces of men and, you know, the hair of women and the sounds of horses' hooves. It sounds like some dude in a helicopter, but... I wouldn't go saying that's what it is. We'll know when it happens. Well, we won't know. We won't be around, but they'll know when it happens, okay? Um, so as the, um, so the tribulation is, is broken down into these two different segments, right? You've got the tribulation, and then the second three, three and a half years is called the great tribulation, all right? And this is going to be a time of, uh, as I use the word mega change, this is going to be like a mega tribulation, the second part of the, of the tribulation. Um, and he says something that I think is very, very important for us to understand when looking at eschatology, all right? Because I do believe this is a definitive statement, and these came out of Jesus's, these words came out of Jesus's mouth. He says, it's such that has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will be. So what he's saying is, uh, this statement removes any kind of confusion or doubt that the world has seen many major crises in the in the past, but this one will will not have a parallel. There will not be anything that has happened in the world like this ever, nor will there be anything that will ever happen again after this happens that is that is of like nature on on this level of change and chaos and catastrophe. Okay. Um, it will be. It will stand out in human history. It will be the ultimate, not only in its magnitude, but also in the impact to the entire world. Okay, um, it will literally change the universe forever when this takes place. So, for us to look back and say some of this has already occurred, to me, is really missing the point of what Jesus was saying. You know. Um, so this period that we refer to as the tribulation, like I said, divided into two, three and a half year sections. And um, we might even call the first three and a half years the beginning of sorrows, or the beginning of labor pains, as Jesus put it in Matthew 24. He says the beginning of birth pains. So when ladies, if you've uh, had children and you know when that first contraction starts to hit, it's like, oh, it's on, right? You know it's the beginning of birth pains. Of course, there's there's Braxton Hicks contractions as well, which are like uh, you know um, they're kind of false contractions, but but it's a signal telling you that it's leading up to the time where you're about to give delivery. But we know that you're not going to actually deliver the baby until those contractions are really really close together and very very intense, right? So that's how Jesus described this. He's saying it's going to start out the beginning of sorrows like birth pains you're going to realize, oh, hey, we're in the season, and then it's going to become more and more tumultuous until, boom, delivery, the Messiah is here, okay? So, um, in other words, this time of tribulation, it's not an easy time. It's a time of catastrophe. It has certain events that follow one another, and they're just layered upon one another. So, catastrophe layered upon catastrophe, okay? Um, first, there's the seven seals that are broken, and as each seal is broken, something catastrophic begins to take place in the world. Each seal represents God stripping away the power of the enemy in the earth. You know, the Bible says that Satan is the God of this world because the world itself worships the devil and these fallen spirits as if they were the gods of this world. And so they have control over much of the hearts and minds of, of uh, humanity right now. The direction of the world is based upon the kind of their manipulation and what they, uh, the direction they want it to go. And that's why we see these fallen spirits manipulating mankind. And of course, man's fallen human nature, they just keep falling into the same traps over and over again. Okay. But what I want you to see is this seal. Every time a seal is broken, God is taking away more power from the enemy. 
He's saying, oh, you've had control? Well, I'm taking that back. And the nature of a seal was it was rolled up and every few chapters or whatever would be sealed and that every seal would be broken. It would open up a new, uh, um, I guess you could say, a new set of circumstances, okay? So these seals, as they're broken, is almost like um, you could look at it as like a title deed to a house. So every time a seal is broken, God is taking back a, the title deed to the earth. Do you understand? To creation. That's been in the power of death and the devil and fallen forces and evil man. He's taking back the title. Okay, that's how you want to look at these seals. All right? Uh, Jesus, as I said, is reclaiming the title deed. And as this happens, we begin to see military conflicts. We see uh, death of people, millions and possibly hundreds of millions of people who perish through the warfare, through pestilence, and even to some degree natural disasters. I do believe the earth is changing in a way um, it has nothing to do with your hairspray or styrofoam. I believe the earth is changing because sin broke the earth, and the further away from creation we get, the more the earth is becoming more and more chaotic. It has nothing to do with uh, global disastrification, right? It has nothing to do with, uh, it has more to do with our stewardship in uh, sin and how we've allowed the world to fall into the hands of the enemy. That doesn't mean, of course, that I'm promoting that we're not good stewards of the earth. We should absolutely be good stewards of the earth. I just want you to know that you using your your, your brand of hairspray is not, is not causing uh, God's sovereign plan to, to fall off its track, okay? Uh, okay, so after the seven seals are opened, the last seal opens up to the seven trumpets, and they are blasted one after another. And then, of course, comes another series of catastrophes with essentially, um, this is God's judgment and the purging of wickedness from the world. So the first, the seals are, the, are, the bring, are taking back the title deed, and then the trumpets and the things that are happening, the judgments, and the bowls of wrath, those are actually God's judgment being poured out upon the wicked, uh, rebellious people who there is no hope for. They have rejected uh, the sovereign God once and for all, and it's time for him to, uh, to take back this world. Bless you. All right. So in other words, this is the final wake-up call that God is going to give to humanity. And we often wonder about the terrible savagery of the last seven years or the last ten, uh, three and a half years of that tribulation period. And we wonder why God is doing that. Um, and the answer, as I said, is very simple. Uh, he's pouring out his wrath on the people who have rebelled against him and who have simply absolutely rejected him. Okay. So God's trying to bring a stubborn, rebellious people to repentance. And, you know, C.S. Lewis says that God whispers to us in our hearts he shouts to us in our rebellion, and he screams at us through a megaphone in our pain. So sometimes God pours out his wrath in order to scream at you, this is your last chance. You better get right, okay? Um, we want to, the church these days wants to project, project a Jesus that's all, that's all loving and embracing, and it doesn't matter who you are and what you do, he accepts you, and he loves you, and he does love you. And he loves you enough that he is going to give you every opportunity to repent of your sin and turn to him. Otherwise, you have to face separation from him for eternity, right? The Jesus of the New Testament is the Jesus we read in the Gospels, but it's also the Jesus that returns on the white, the white horse that, that has a rod of iron in his hand and a sword that proceeds from his mouth. That's the New Testament Jesus as well. So let's not get it twisted, okay? Jesus is coming back as a righteous judge, and he's going to do what he has purposed to do in purging this world of wickedness. All right, so when we look back on the last year, on 2020, uh, obviously there were a lot of unforeseen events. There was division, there was arguing, virtue signaling, calling good evil and evil good. Uh, and as, as we reflect on it, we, we come to realize that it's been a very disruptive time, right? Even painfully so. Like, um, I decided that the Lord was leading me to move to Tulsa, Oklahoma and plant a church in the middle of a pandemic. Um, not exactly the best, uh, you know, circumstances, but I love it, right? I love it because here's the deal. 
through all of this, when we look back, we're going to say, look at what God brought us through. And we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God brought this family together and God's hand was in it. It wasn't anything I did. It wasn't anything you did. But it was just us as a local body of believers submitting to him and his will and letting him use this local body to, to grow and build a church. And, and that's what I'm excited about, is we won't be able to point to anything else but God when all is said and done, okay? But um, as all of this stuff begins to fall apart around us, as our world, our normalcy begins to, to dissipate, um, there's an instinct, even within the atheist, um, to begin to turn to something larger than themselves. Have you ever heard the, the uh, quote, there are no atheists in foxholes? When the bombs are dropping and the bullets are flying inches over your head, um, when you're flying off the road out of control in your car, you're screaming, Jesus, take the wheel, right? You're like, the, the thing that comes out of your mouth is, oh God, like help, I need you. And that's instinctual within us is to cry out to the creator when things are falling apart. Same thing in these times of, of tumult. Look, we're either going to get become more hardened um, and, and we're going to reject God or we're going to turn to our creator and say, Lord, you know, I need you. I need you now more than ever. All right. So these are also the times that we look around more for answers. And uh, without fail, in the middle of that crisis, some will genuinely turn to God. And the, that's the kind of conversions I want. I don't want people to just get emotional and walk an aisle and repeat a prayer. I want the hand of God to touch you in such a way that you become aware that you are a sinner and you are separated from God and you are in desperate need of your Savior. That is the true, genuine conversion. I can't manipulate that in you and you can't emote yourself in a way that makes it genuine. It only comes from the leading of the Holy Spirit and the touch of the hand of God in your life. And that's why you will not see me playing soft music, right, and trying to manipulate you to come forward. Here's the deal, folks. If you don't know Jesus, today's the day. Now is the, now's the time of salvation. Come talk to me after this service. I will lead you through the scripture that will show you that you are separated from God and you desperately need a Savior for all of eternity. Otherwise, you're going to spend eternity separated from Him. And it's a very logical and matter-of-fact situation. You don't need to cry. It's okay if you do, but you don't have to be emotional about it. You can make a decision. I choose to follow Christ. That simple. And if you're watching online right now, in this very moment, you can say, I choose to follow Christ. You don't have to walk an aisle and repeat a prayer after me. Okay? It just needs to be the hand of God touching you and you responding in the appropriate way. That's how it works. All right? So let's leave, it, let's leave it up to the Lord. Let's leave it up to the Holy Spirit. And in these times, even times like this on Super Bowl Sunday, matter of fact, my son Callan accepted Christ on Super Bowl Sunday years ago. Um, it, I'm, that just came to remembrance. So that's pretty cool. So, um, so we see during this time of tribulation, right at the beginning, when the Antichrist comes on the scene, and we see this, this, uh, this thing that... Uh, really a lot of people have been talking about lately, the mark of the beast, okay? And uh, everybody's just kind of speculating about what that is. And um, I want to calm some of your fears because some people have been talking about how they might accidentally take the mark of the beast if they take a vaccination. Let me just tell you that that's silliness, okay? You're not going to be tricked into taking the mark of the beast, okay? And the mark of the beast is very likely not going to be a vaccination. Um I will say you could draw some comparisons actually uh, in the human psychology behind everything that's been happening with, with masks and with vaccinations. I'm not saying these things are bad. What I'm saying is it's a, it's a picture. We see human psychology at work. We see that, um, you know, the, the same things that we've seen, the things that are being promoted, go on, take the mark. It's the right thing to do. It's the moral thing to do. If you don't do it, you don't really love your family and you don't really love people, right? That's going to be the kind of thing they're going to say if you don't take the mark. Um, if all the experts say that you should, you should take this, there's no reason not to, right? That's human psychology. They're, they're manipulating you in a way. You should always listen to the experts, right? But, but because, of course, they know what's best. They've always got your best interests at heart. 
I don't know that that's true, okay? Um, they'll say this will bring oneness, this will bring unity and peace, and the pressure and the manipulation will be off the charts during this period of time. And the reason I say that is because God's Word tell us, tells us that if you don't accept it, then they're just going to kill you. They're, they're basically going to say, look, you're either going to join us or you're going to die, which, I mean, sounds awesome, right? Um, <laughs> get it or face the consequences. And, uh, but the whole point is that these events set up the stage for this last period of time in human history as far as in the state that we've been in for many, many years, again, which is called the mega or great tribulation, that last three and a half years. And it moves us from being a world that's in catastrophe in the first three and a half years to a, a period of time in which the world is in complete and total cataclysm, where not unlike, y'all, the, the, the flood of Noah and how things dramatically changed in the ecosystem. And uh, I always find it funny how some people um, just kind of, they treat the story of uh, the flood as if it's like a, a fairy tale. Like it couldn't possibly have happened. Well, it did happen. Uh, number one, because the Bible says it happened, and I believe God. Number two, there's evidence all over the world in the uh, in the in the um, uh, what do you call it? Ge um, geological um, sedim sedimentary layers. Okay, total evidence of all of it. Okay, so again, you either choose to believe God's word or you choose to believe uh, man who have become too fancy pants for their own good. Okay, um, so during this time, though, what you can imagine is the wheels coming off, right? Everything flying apart. Everything's going crazy. And when you read that the seven last plagues are poured out on the earth, the last plague culminates with the return of Jesus Christ to earth. And every eye will see him and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And that's when God the righteous God gets the last word, okay? Again, in Matthew 24, 21, Jesus said of that time, it is unequaled in severity from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. Now, the question that I'm most often asked when talking about this, as I said before, is where's the United States of America in the end time events? And the vast majority of Bible students, if you were to ask them, those who study end time prophecy, they're going to tell you there's no clear indication in Scripture that the United States of America exists at the end. And there's some, there are some reasons probably for that uh, to be the case. There are some who say every time you see an eagle in Scripture, that's pointing to the United States of America. The problem is that the eagle was the symbol of Rome. The eagle was the symbol of Germany. I mean, we can't really go by that. You understand what I'm saying? We only interpret in hindsight. We do not say something is definitively what it is in prophecy until we know that it has been fulfilled and we know that that's the case. All right? So um, the bottom line is people have a habit in prophecy of seeing what they want to see, right? Um, for instance, if they want to see, they can't imagine that the that the United States of America would someday not exist. They can't imagine that, right? Because of how prominent and powerful we are. We're such a major political force and such a player on the world scene that the idea of us not even being around up until the very end is, is just unfathomable, right? You can't conceive of it. Um, and so <laughs> Americans are just like every citizen of every prominent empire in the past. They didn't think that their empire was going to cease to exist either, okay? Um, in the book, The Fate of Empires, uh, Arthur, Arthur, author Sir John Glubb said, I mixed the word uh, author and, and sir, and that's what you get. So uh, John Glubb said, they imagined that their preeminence would last forever. And that's been the case of every empire in the history of the world is that we have this, this idea that we're always going to be wealthy, we're always going to be powerful, we're always going to be in control because we are so powerful right now, right? We just can't imagine. Yet historians over the past 2,000 years, beginning with Polybius in 200 BC, have noted over and over again that every great nation eventually will face its demise, and that demise is essentially unavoidable that there's just a cycle, a life cycle of all things. It happens in your life. You're born. There's the bell curve. 
You get older and you die. You cease to exist, okay, As in this form, right? We never cease to exist, thank God, in the, in the spiritual form. And eventually one day our bodies will be re, uh, resurrected and, and we'll have new bodies and we'll get to enjoy that. But again, it's a life cycle and everything has one and the United States of America is no exception. Um, it's not because people or nations are fated to fail. It's, it's because of uh, uh, the you know, like the book, his book is entitled The Fate of Empires. It's not necessarily the fate, like there's just no way to stop it, but rather, um, as uh, Machiavelli said 500 years ago, he says, times may change, but human nature doesn't. And even before that, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon said, uh, he said that there is nothing new under the sun. That human nature, this cyclical nature of all things in the universe right now, is bent on brokenness and fallenness, and we're going to keep repeating the same cycles over and over and over, okay? Now, I'm not predicting, don't take me wrong today, I'm not predicting the demise of the United States of America anytime soon, but, I, what, but as Christians, I think we need to have a, a specific understanding, okay, of, of the end times and how this might unfold. And I don't have any inside information. God didn't come speak to me, you know, while I was shaving this morning. I'm not a prophet, so I can't predict with accuracy what's going to happen. But what I am is an observer of Scripture, and I'm an observer of history, and I'm observe, an observer of the way things are going in our country right now, okay? And, um, and what I see is this. Currently, the United States of America is the one thing that stands in the way of some of these end-time events uh, take, taking place. And let me explain what I mean to you. We are the one obstacle right now, and have been, from this global agenda that we see all of these other nations pushing towards. Okay, Without a doubt, the Trump administration has been promoting not a globalist agenda, but rather a nationalist agenda. So, and this is not a political statement. I just want you to see, I want you to see it for what it is. Trump's campaign slogan was what? Make America great again. So he, his approach as a president, as a politician, was a nationalist approach that America is great. We want to return it to its former greatness and glory in, in the world as a shining light, that city on the hill. That's what he believed America was, and that's how he governed, all right? That is not necessarily the case of other people uh, who are now in charge, okay? So um, this idea, make America great again, or American exceptionalism, really flies in the face and ticks off a lot of people. It ticks off globalists and those who want to see this one world government, and it definitely ticks off those who find themselves probably far left in their politics because of their, It's that's what they believe. They believe that humanity should be pushing towards this one world kind of uh, unity, okay, and unite under this global banner. Well, um, the U.S. is currently in the way preventing this global agenda, and until we either get on board or get out of the way or are taken out of the way, uh, then the events that I see in the book of Revelation can't unfold, okay? For instance, the beast cannot come on the scene, the one world government that the Bible foretells is coming cannot happen. Uh, and, and right now, the United States of America is the dominant military and, and economic hegemony, okay? Now, you may hear that word and say, what in the, word, what in the world does that mean? Um, I don't know what hegemony means. How many of you guys know what that means? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, let me explain it to you. So familiarize yourselves with it because it's something that's going to become more and more prominent. Um, so today, hegemony simply means leadership dominance, all right? So in America's social construct, in the way that we've existed thus far in the United States of America, the hierarchy that is the currently marked as enemy number one in our society is uh, the historic nuclear family, okay? Yeah, look no further than if you go to the, um, well, they changed it now, but back when, uh, let's say, uh, nine months ago, you go to Black Lives Matter to their website, 
And one of the things they, they mentioned, num number one bullet points, was the destruction or the collapse of the nuclear family. They actually said it blatantly on their website that that was something that they were working towards. Now, I believe personally that this, again, is a demonic kind of push, manipulation, that, um, that we see uh, is, is pushing the world towards this one world globalist mentality. But we have always known in the United States of America that we have tried to do it God's way. Mom, dad, and the kids, right? The nuclear family. And in order to change society, the agenda is to undermine and collapse the idea of the family unit that God, God designed. And this, this is how it worked. Bottom line is this. If you, if you read anything, it doesn't take long before you pick up on these, these ideas in Scripture that the straight white male, that we're a bunch of abusive, oppressive idiots, and that everything wrong in the world is our fault. And women... If you want to have value, you're so unique, right? This is what they're telling you. You're so unique, and if you want to have value, then what you need to do is act like a man, okay? You see how messed up that is? It's, it's you're so unique and so special and so wonderful. Act like a man, all right? They're not, they're not separating the, the things the way God designed the family to work. And children, well, let's talk about them. Um, most, many, many of them these days don't even survive until their birth because we abort them left and right, okay? And if they do survive until their actual birth, we indoctrinate them with ungodly, unholy, unbiblical worldviews, and then they promote and perpetuate this idea and things just continue to fall apart further and further because we will not be the parents and the grandparents that God have called us to be in teaching our children the word of God and God's way is the right way. Okay, and you can do that in a loving manner. Um, but we teach our kids, unfortunately, that number one, you evolved from an animal, so essentially you're an animal, uh, and the world revolves around you. So um, live it up, collect the most toys you can, uh, live up, live big, and when you die, you die. Right? Um, let us let them eat cake. Like let's celebrate today and 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 live live big. Right? But that mentality has been what's been promoted over the last several decades in this country, and that's why we're seeing what we're seeing happen, happening in our society. That's why the fabric of society is falling apart. Now, in the global context, in the same way, our dominance has to fail in order for this, these events in Revelation to take place, okay? The United States has to lose their world leadership dominance militarily, and economically before this stuff can take place. Um, and of course, the thought of that, the thought of us not holding that position is concerning because I do believe on one hand, the United States has been placed in this position, that city on a hill, um, to be a light in the world unlike any other light in human history, all right? that God's hand put us here and placed us in this position of authority and prominence, not because we're better, but because we were trying to prioritize and do it God's way, okay? And I believe it's not because you and I have some inerrant virtue about us that, as again, that we're just better than everybody else in other countries, you know, that I'm born in the USA. Like, there's nothing special about that. Just because you were born white and you're born in the United States of America, that doesn't make you special. What makes us special as a nation, no matter color or creed, is that we made, the Constitution is based upon, on biblical principles, and, and our society was based upon those inalienable rights that God granted to every man, woman, and child. Okay? That's why God has blessed America. And of course, he's shown us grace and mercy because we have also blessed Israel. And I believe that that thing that God set in motion in the Old Testament, that I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you, that's still in effect to some degree. And we've made the mission of the church of Jesus Christ, as I said, a priority in the world. Okay. Um, look, if America stops supporting overseas missions, then Overseas missions is pretty much going to come to a screeching halt. It's our money and what we have given to missions, to promoting the gospel around the world that has absolutely changed the face of the earth, right? So why did I fight for America? Why do I fight for America? Why do I believe in the United States of America? 
and I, and I hold to those principles because we sought to be good and we were good because we sought to be godly. But when that fails, when that falls apart and we're no longer good and we're no longer godly, then things change. Then, of course, we see, as has happened in human history, God very likely removes his hand from this nation and we uh, see the, the, the foundations and the fabric of this nation begin to fall apart, okay? Um, I often hear people these days, you don't have to look far, talking about the United States of America in critical ways. Now let me just give you just a real quick understanding of what I believe was going on. Yes, the United States of America has had dark days in the past. Yes, we have made terrible mistakes in the past. We have scourges on our history that, that there's absolutely no defense for. Racism and, uh, and, and all of the things that, that are in our, in our past. But let me just ask you this. Each and every one of you, in your mind's eye right now, if I were to open the door to your closet, your history, and pull out the worst things that you've ever done, as a person in this world, and I set them out here for everyone in this room and for everyone online to see, how popular would you be tomorrow? See, our criticism and the world's criticism of the United States of America is because they're saying our, our darkest days and our mistakes define us, but I refuse to believe that. Your darkest days and your worst mistakes do not define you. We have been given the, the mercy and grace and loving kindness of of a Savior who loves us. And I believe as a nation, we should look at the things that we've done. We should, we should uh, you know, basically look and, and admit to the mistakes we've made, but also see us for who we truly are. We're a nation that has done an, an incredible amount of good in the world, okay? Um, and again, that's because we have founding principles. Um, all right, so I want to go over a few things real quick to just show you. Um, let me see if I, can you put up that, that slide with the list on there? I'm going to skip through some things here. I think it starts with, um, it starts with indifference to religion. There we go. Yeah, let's start right there. All right. So, um, all of these historians that have looked at these empires being, that have fallen apart. There are these defining elements of collapse in the empire, and I want to point them out to you. First of all, it begins with the indifference to religion, and that's when there's no longer a conscience towards God. People begin to operate with little or no conscience so that morally we see a decline. Okay, We see a decline in the family, the, the divorce rate skyrockets, and all of that sort of thing. Secondly, he says there's an increase of materialism. We become more about the acquiring of things and stuff, power and control. Even people, rather than being most concerned about things that God's concerned about, okay? So um, I love this saying that God created us to love people and use things for his purposes. But now we flip the script and now we use people and we love things for our own purposes. So that's how that materialism winds up taking us down that path. Third, he says there's the collapse of the family, as, as I've already touched on this. And then when this happens, this is kind of, this is like seeing the writing on the wall, that your days are numbered. Um, a nation that's had half of its citizens growing up without a father in the home, without that influence, it's a nation that has never before been able to survive when the family falls apart. Um, and then fourthly, there's the unrestrained sexual immorality. I, I've, already, I've already taught on this a few times now, um, and I think you don't have to look far in our society to see that sexual immorality is just, it's something that, that we celebrate. It's something that, you know, is, is now such a part of the fabric of society um, that it actually defines our society. And I don't even know how to put into words how to describe where we are when it comes to sexual immorality. And then last of all is the corruption of the ruling class. Now, if you look at this and you, uh, 
that's not looking so hot, <laughs> right, when it comes to uh, where we are in this nation, okay? Um, historians tell us that it only takes 10 generations or 250 years for an empire, the mightiest of nations, to go through all of these stages, okay? And then there are these, what we call the, um, this life cycle. So let's look at the life cycle real quick. It first starts with outbursts, okay? Now, we, we would describe, for us, we describe this as like, you know, the Boston Tea Party and the skirmishes that took place early on before we came, became a nation, okay? And then there is conquest, the idea that you acquire more territory and you spread out, okay? And then there comes the age of commerce. And uh, this is when people begin to make things and, and sell things and commerce uh, starts up. And then uh, there's the age of affluence, when uh, the commerce then leads to wealth, a wealthy society and well-to-dos, right? And um, everybody begins to prosper. And this leads to the age of intellect, where people now make enough money that they have time to actually study stuff, right? They start doing experiments, and uh, we see great strides being made in science and technology. And this is fairly new in human history as far as how far we've come in the United States of America and Europe and the, the things that we've seen. If you go back and look right after the United States of America became a nation, you start looking at the, the inventions that were being made by the men who, and women who came, the, the breakthroughs in medicine and, and technology and science and geography and all of these things. It's just incredible to see how knowledge has increased over the last uh, couple hundred years, okay? Um, but again, we see this cycle um, where when people first came over, they were fighting just to survive, just to grow food, and just to keep their children alive in the harsh winters. And then you come through this period of time where um, all of a sudden now, uh, people begin to uh, live in their comfort and their decadence. And then that's the next stage is decadence. And that's where you have uh, more than what you need, right? We're so comfortable. We have everything we need. And then we get fat and happy, right? Uh, then we don't really need anything else. And of course, this leads to arrogance, cynicism, skepticism. We begin to speculate against the knowledge of God. This is what Romans 1 is talking about where we have everything we need, and then we begin, we begin to push back against the idea that there even is a creator, and, and this idea that we can do it all ourselves, right? And this, of course, is when the ideas come in like Marxism, and socialism, and, and uh, communism, all of these things that, that put the, the um, kind of the, 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 um, the weight of humanity and, and the idea that we're only going to prosper if there's people at the top the, the leadership at the top, and, and it's going to trickle down to all of the people below, right? And that's what we've seen over and over and over again. And then, of course, this attitude leads to decline. And, uh, I yeah, there are these, there's this, um, as I said, Romans 1, that um, we, we're no longer thankful to God um, for what he's given us. Their foolish hearts are darkened, and they turn away from God. In, and instead, they turn to their own devices, okay? Um, I am going to, I'm going to call it there, but here's the, here's the, here's what I want to, to tell you. There's only one nation that I know of that's an anomaly to this, these things falling apart, and that's the nation of Judah. And there was a period of time in which um, they stood on the brink of disaster, and there's this scripture that you've heard quoted many, many times. And it was to the kingdom of Judah. And they, are, they were within a hair of, of being completely and totally destroyed. That's 2 Chronicles 7.14. And you've heard it over and over again. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now that scripture is not written to you and I. It was written to the kingdom of Judah. But God is the same. He never changes. And a nation, as they did in that time, they changed and they were saved from destruction. And they lasted another hundred years. Okay? 
They lasted another hundred years and then they were destroyed because eventually they went back down the same road uh, as is so apt of human nature. Okay? So the kingdom was weakened and they and there was one more godly king, and then eventually they were cut off. Now, as I, I want to close, I just want to uh, bring up one point, one more point. Um, and we're going to talk more about this globalist mentality and where things are headed over the next uh, few weeks. Um, but I will tell you this, that the UN, the EU, the IMF, that's not the impossible mission force, by the way. Um, the World Bank, big tech, media, global corporations, all are proposing what they're calling the Great Reset right now. And um, there's a man by the name of Klaus Schwab, who's the founder and chief leader and the spokesman for the World Economic Forum, Forum. And here's what he said, quote, the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset. And that's what they're all pushing towards. And the other quote that I have um, is that they basically are saying, as the World Economic Forum, they are saying that within the next 10 years, America's dominance will be over with. It will be done. And these are not, these are the, the, the top echelon, the who's who of leadership in the world right now. And they are cla uh, claiming and proclaiming that the United States of America's days are numbered and that they are using this pandemic even right now as a vehicle uh, by which to bring about social and global and economic change. All right. And, and I'm going to show you guys quotes out of their own mouth from the forum that they held just uh, under a year ago. And, uh, and I want you to see where things are headed. Okay. But the bottom line is this, as we, as we look to, um, as we look to, as believers, what do we do during this time? Well, first of all, understand that, that the body of Christ only has so much power within itself to make a change. That, that Christ himself is the only person that can change a heart and transform someone's life. You and I cannot legislate change. We cannot change the heart of man. All we can do is point to Jesus. So that's our job, okay? And let me just remind you this. Be encouraged. Do not let everything that's happened like depress you and, and, and make you think that, that God's finished and God can't do anything. The second coming is not coming on Air Force One. All right. So it doesn't matter who the president is. Doesn't matter who the world leaders are. Jesus Christ is going to crack open the sky and he's going to return and he's going to make things right. You and I do not have the power to make this world right, but we can pray for the return of the righteous judge and king. And we can pray that God will use us to, to bring about the right kind of change in the world, which only comes through a, a salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you are encouraged by the truth of God's word. If you're in the Tulsa area and are looking for a local church family that teaches God's word, then join us at 1030 every Sunday morning. Or you can join us live online on our Facebook page or YouTube channel. Until next time, brothers and sisters, as Paul instructed, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you.